We're all about taking care of ourselves, right? And if we want to get in the spirit of some self-care, today's sponsor, One Skin, is here to help you simplify your skincare regimen. It was founded by four PhDs dedicated to skin longevity, and One Skin proves that you don't need a complicated routine to achieve better skin. They have topical supplements that make it really easy to help your skin stay younger and healthier without any extra steps. I have quite a few products of theirs in my own bathroom, and then I even got some for the guest bathroom because I want to make everyone's experience the best it could possibly be here. Everyone go stay at Corinne's now. I know I'm taking care of everybody. They're gonna they're gonna leave my house looking a few years younger, <laughs> I think. Well, I think that's the best thing about OneSkin is that in a third-party 12-week clinical study performed by a third-party research organization, OS01 face was clinically proven to strengthen skin barrier, improve skin health markers, and diminish visible signs of aging. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users, which is absolutely amazing. And I love having lotion that, one, feels good on my skin, but is also backed by science. Yes. And for a limited time, our listeners will get an exclusive 15% off their first OneSkin purchase using the code TGOG when you check out at oneskin.co. Invest in the health and longevity of your skin with OneSkin. OneSkin is more than skincare. It's about skin It's about skin longevity, targeting the root causes of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. Get started today with 15% off using code TGOG at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code TGOG. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. So please support our show. Tell them that we sent you and it's time to expect more from your skincare routine invest in the health of your skin with one skin take so much effort to start a recording. Uh, you know, I Sometimes I'm a little bit envious of the people that have studios where there are other people there doing all of the audio and tech for them. But mm-hmm. then at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't want to go in anywhere. <laughs> I've honestly become such a homebody to the point yeah. where I never want to leave. Like if someone gives me a reason to no. leave, I'm like, absolutely not. You sure about that? Are you sure you, you really sure want me that? to? Because like we could do it virtually, which sounds significantly do we need to better. Be together? <laughs> and also, I feel like in the winter, do we need to be social? Do we need no. to be venturing outside of our walls? Winter time is like you're in bed by five. Heated blanket yes. is on. Oh, you're cuddled yes. with the cat. Well, that's all you need. Relax and ignore. The false sense of urgency. Words exactly. to live by. It's a picture of you in the bed, <laughs> draped over the side of it, yeah. in your background. Exactly. Yesterday, I had a, a wonderful moment where I was forced to relax and do absolutely nothing. And it was right before I was getting into bed. I was just so stressed. And I haven't slept in like four days because I can't t- turn my brain off. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put like little eye gels underneath because I know as soon as I get into bed, I'm not going to fall asleep i'm gonna be up for an hour at least and then i open up the eye gels and it wasn't an eye gel it was an eye warmer and as soon as it gets exposed to air it starts heating up the eye patch and you put it over your eyes i was like well i'm not gonna waste it so i just sat there in bed like a little mummy like a corpse for 30 minutes with my eye patch on 
And during that time, Brian came in and had to ask me some questions. My parents are here helping <laughs> do some housework. So my mom also came in and I'm just laying like a like I'm in a coffin, eyes Little closed mommy. and everyone talks around me. <laughs> and it was lovely. That's amazing. It. Yeah, it was great. I'm proud of you. I know that you were forced to experience relaxation like that because your body physically <laughs> was like, I'm going to shut down. So you have to do this, Corinne. But I'm proud of you for honoring that because you do yes. deserve it and you do need it. And <sighs> you've been going through a lot. You have a lot going on. You have a lot on your plate. And we are doing a lot as podcasters, as people, as humans. So I just hope you can give yourself that more often and not necessarily when your body you. shuts down and tells you you have to. Yeah, that's a good point. My dad <laughs> actually was like, Corinne, you need to rest. It was like 11 p.m. and I was still moving stuff. And he goes, you need to rest. And I go, who, me? And he goes, yeah, you. Yeah, the you. One, only one in here who's pregnant. <laughs> like, get out of here. <laughs> and then they forced me upstairs. And then my mom said, you better not come back downstairs. So that's why I was up there. It wasn't really by my choice. Oh, man. Anyhow. It's so funny because I feel like one day when I'm pregnant, I'm just going to use it as my excuse to do absolutely nothing. Like, I feel like I'll finally be able to be like, sorry, can't get out of bed. I'm pregnant. I think I would also be doing that if the problem is we have the house and the house is like torn apart yeah. and there's infestations and rotting walls and things like that. And so I feel like I my pregnancy is for doing everything that I can possibly do to get the house ready. And then as soon as I give birth, I am like, talk to you guys in three months. I'm I'm mute. I'm then you'll be unreachable. Out. I'm out. Which is good. You're doing all of the work now so that you can take that time for yourself and oh, for yeah. your family when the time comes. Snaps done for you, Corinne. That's the plan. And I support it. But we were creepy kids and we did creepy things as kids. And one of those things that we did was a lot of creative writing. Do you have something to share with us today from your childhood journals and homework? I have an essay that I wrote and I'm really, really proud of it. It's one of my favorite things I've ever written. I've talked about Franz Kafka before. Franz Kafka is it was an amazing literary author. Leia's screaming. Leia, come here. She's sorry. In high school... I had a teacher who we read Franz Kafka and then we had to write Kafka-esque pieces. And so mm. I wrote this essay and I won't be able to read the whole thing because it's pretty long. I will read, let's see. How an many excerpt. It's like when you're at a bookstore and you're the author and you read like an excerpt from your new novel Yeah, for everyone in the crowd. That's us right now. We're the crowd. You're up at the podium. Like it's like seven pages. So I don't really know that I can read the whole thing, but... As context, Metamorphosis is about, it's like a story of this man who turns into a beetle and he kind of becomes a nuisance to his family. And I haven't <laughs> read it in a very long time. But taking that into frame of reference, that was what we read and reading material. Yes. And then we had to write a Kafka-esque piece. So okay. this is called The Brain of a Stitch. I wrote it December 6, 2009. Also, this is so clearly, I've been obsessed with the name Charlie since high school forever she's my alter ego which is so funny because actually charlie as a baby name is becoming less popular this year after it had a moment so that's good because if you use it as a child's name in the future the hard thing is that i think charlie is my alter ego like she is me 
So I can't name my <laughs> child. Can't bestow it upon anyone yes. else. Exactly. Okay. So I'm going to read. I'll find a natural stopping point. Charlie woke up in a sweat. Her nightgown stuck to her legs and her hairline slightly damp. All she wanted to do was get out of her dream. She couldn't understand it. Why was there a car? Why was she crying? As she forgot about the dream, she rolled over and faced the bedside table. She glanced at the clock and saw it was already 8.30 in the morning. She jumped out of bed. Her mom would be angry when she went downstairs for breakfast. Charlie knew her mom. She always set a strict schedule for Charlie to follow. Breakfast at 8 and any later and she would give the food to the dog. At 9, Charlie had to read the newspaper out loud to her parents. After that, Charlie would sit with her mom and stitch for three hours straight. Charlie slipped off her nightgown and quickly put on her blue jeans and the pink floral shirt that were lying on the floor of her closet. She ran down the main staircase, sprinted into the kitchen. No one was there. The kitchen was empty with a piercing silence. The stove remained cold. Charlie thought, oh no, she was in for it now. She'd woken up late and now she was going to be punished. The clock struck nine, and nine meant it was time to read the newspaper. Charlie looked to the kitchen table where her mom had always put the paper, but it was cleared off completely. Charlie couldn't find it anywhere, so maybe she could start stitching, and her mom would be proud she had taken her own initiative. She walked the kitchen doors into the room where she always stitched. As she entered the room, she stared at the two chairs. One chair was hers. It was small and wooden, and painted across the top was her name in pink. The other chair, which was twice the size of hers, belonged to her mom. It was old, and Charlie could see little pieces of wood sticking out everywhere. Her mom's pillow was lying on the floor next to the chair, as it always did. Charlie went to pick up her needle and thread. They were attached to the piece she was working on, a scarf, one she had made for her mom. She'd given the scarf to her mom almost a year ago. When her mom took it out of the box, she immediately threw it on the ground. She told Charlie that no person would wear a scarf with such pathetic stitching as she had done. Charlie had taken back the scarf and took the criticism into consideration as she always did. And since then, Charlie has been working on the scarf. She took a seat in her small chair and went to work. Needle under, over, under, over, under, over, over, under. Leia's adding to the uh, rhythm here. (laughs) She had made the most careless mistake possible. In an agonizing rage, she tore the stitches out, almost tearing the thread. She went back to work, determined to complete the scarf. Her pupils grew wide, and slowly the glossiness had grown into dryness. Her eyes thirsted for tears. Her focus was a trance, and she was forgetting to blink. Stitch after stitch, she kept going. Nothing could take her away from this moment or this scarf. I want to skip to the end. Okay. I'm like already feeling very the yellow wallpaper. Yeah, it does have that vibe. Yeah. Charlie's mind was racing. She had to stitch until her mom came home. If her mom came home, found Charlie doing nothing or something other than stitching, she would be seen as a failure. She was pacing side to side in the room, searching for something to stitch. She threw open the drawers and found nothing. She ran to the opposite side of the room and tripped. As she fell, she cut her arm on the pieces of wood from her mother's chair. She tried to catch herself before falling into the wood, but this only further forced the splintered wood into her skin. She took a seat on the floor, dug the wood out of her skin, letting blood drip into the floor. At that moment, she could feel no pain or see any blood because her mind had gone back to thinking. She had looked at the cut she had received and many other cuts on her skin and decided to put the needle back between her thumb and middle finger and dug it into the skin just above the fresh cut. She pushed the needle through the other side of the cut and pulled tightly. She watched as the two sides of her skin were pulled closer together. 
Charlie made six perfect stitches, all on her first attempt. The skin was so tightly stitched back together that no blood could find a way to drip from the cut. So she decided to do this to every other cut on her body. Oh, God. (laughs) So gross. (laughs) She fumbled with the needle and the thread in the tips of her fingers. She slowly brought the needle up to her lips where she began to dig the sharp end of it into the lower lip. At first, the needle was too stubborn to permeate the chapped skin, but Charlie pushed, and finally, the needle went through the bottom lip. She pulled it through the inside of her mouth, then pushed the needle through inside of her upper lip, brought the needle back down to the bottom, and pushed it through, repeating the pattern until her lips were stitched shut. Basically, you Sabrina, guys, <laughs> you've always gone dark. She stitches her entire body shut, and you realize at the end that her parents are dead. Okay, I thought at the beginning that her parents must be dead when the newspaper wasn't there. Yeah. Jesus, Sabrina, what did your teacher say? What was the feedback? Because number one, it's beautifully written. I think you're brilliant. I love everything <laughs> that you do and write. And so I can't imagine I would ever think that, like, you're you're reading this and I'm like, you should create your own Black Mirror type of series where it's just like people finding different ways to go mad because this could be episode number one. But I I am curious, like from a teacher perspective, when you read something that you're like, okay, number one, my student is incredible. But number two, is this concerning (laughs) the the dark creativity taken? Well, Kafka is very dark. It's very macabre. This Mm. class was a psych literature, like psychological literature class. Oh. Oh, so interesting. Guess what grade I got on this? Well, I would say A+. I got a B. Why? I know that that B. I'm just kidding. I really liked her. She's the reason I went to LMU. Kate Westhaver. Did she go to LMU? No, but she was from California. And then she was like, there's a small little Jesuit school in Los Angeles that maybe you'd be interested in. And that's how I heard of it. Interesting. I heard of it from my math teacher in Vermont who also went to LMU. Isn't that so random? Wow. Yeah, he was really nice. He and his wife adopted one of the high schoolers that was a grade above me who didn't have the best home life. I don't know why she gave you a B other than maybe all of the other work that you had done was just even more brilliant. So in comparison, this was, she was like, Sabrina, I know you're capable of more, but I thought it was <sighs> incredible. I feel like you got the tone right immediately because like the first part before you skip forward, when I said it's giving the yellow wallpaper, I was also thinking Coraline at the same time. And that's exactly what, it's like the perfect little mix. Thank you, Corinne. That's very nice of you to say. I I honestly haven't read it all the way through since high school. So if I were to to look back or if I were to revise it, there were there's probably a lot of things I would Hurricane Leia. There are probably a (laughs) lot of things that I would do. But her class and this class specifically was one of the reasons that I fell in love with writing. So it's always fun to look back at that. Yeah. And also I'm a disturbed lady. My brain is sick. We know that. There are some things that if I told you, like, what I was into, well, Corinne, you know, but, like, people (laughs) would be like, it makes sense, but it's fucking weird. I want you to expose the truth. You want me to expose myself? But I know you won't. (laughs) It's a whole spinoff podcast that is not about the paranormal. Let's just say that. (laughs) No, no. Should I start, like, a secret like a secret podcast where I just spill all my dirty yeah. little secrets. We can do like a voice changer and you can have a different identity. We'll call it the Dirty Little Secret Podcast. I love it. So now everyone knows who it is. 
No, you guys don't. Shh. Don't tell. Shh. Forget. We need one of those like spinny, hypnotic, like wheel happening. You will never remember this conversation, but you will listen to that podcast. That's a good idea. We should just hypnotize everyone to listen to our podcast. (laughs) The one that doesn't exist instead of the one that actually does. Oh, my gosh. Anywho. Well, guys, thanks for listening to this one. (laughs) We do appreciate it. I don't know that we even introduced ourselves. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. I'm Sabrina. I am wearing our ghost girl hat, which we did put on our website for everyone to buy now. So if you guys want to be a ghost gal like us, you can buy a hat. Represent. Rep. Us. My bracelet is caught in my shirt. I guess you have to take the shirt off. I'm tied up. Reveal your dense boobs. Now I'm tied up, Sabrina. (laughs) Getting stuck in your stitches. Do you want to discover the secret to silent, restful nights? Choose shh tape and say goodbye to shh sleep tonight. I have trouble sleeping for various reasons, but I am trying really hard to not toss and turn a bunch. You know, I've tried other brands of mouth tape where I wake up and it's on my pillow, not at all doing what it's supposed to do. So it was really exciting to find shh tape which covers your mouth and stays on all night. So imagine waking up restful the next morning without a stuffy nose. The product also allows you to facilitate better oxygenation of the blood as your nose filters and warms and humidifies the air prior to reaching your lungs, which is so something I need right now in the winter because I'm waking up with like gross breath, mouth wide open. And so I'm so down for shh-tape. I love the name. It's kind of fun to say. So if you guys want to try shh tape, they are bigger, they are stickier, they are comfier. Shh tape knows that they can increase your quality of sleep and they want you to get started ASAP. So to help, they're giving you the chance to buy shh tape for 50% off using code TGOG50 on their website, shhtape.com and sleep tonight with shh tape, a better way to mouth tape. You can connect with them on Instagram and Facebook at shh underscore tape and share your success stories. And you can check out their website, shhtape.com. All right. Well, I am the one delivering us a haunted tale this week. And I do want to provide a trigger warning at the top for mention of child abuse, sexual assault, violence, imprisonment, and torture. All right. Sticking with the... Scary, creepy, macabre stuff that I was writing about in high school. Okay. Yep. Where are you taking us? I'm taking us to California to talk about a place that was actually recommended to us by a listener at our San Francisco show. I think one or two people at that show in the meet and greet line told us to look into this place. Oh, cool. It is called Preston Castle. So coming off the height of industrialization, there were industry titans. There were a ton of workers and People who worked in trades, obviously, it wasn't the safest choice. (laughs) We know that because there were a lot of unions that were formed to help with keeping workers safe. But it just, you know, it was a horrible environment to work in for so many different people. People were severely underpaid and companies just didn't also want to pay their workers at all. And so one of the things that resulted from this was that companies started to be a little bit more creative with how to get cheap labor from Mm. people who seemed to be forgotten by society. And we've covered a few places like this. Prisons. 
prisons where workers were, I almost said utilized, but like that's not the right, like they They were were forced to work. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that happened all over the world, a Mm -hmm. ton of places in America. And that's mostly what happened in the adult prison system at the time. But for juvenile delinquents during the Victorian era, corporations control. Is this like holes? Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) It totally is. This is holes without kissing Kate Barlow or any treasure. And without any schloot. What's it called? Like the peaches, the schloog? I don't remember. (laughs) It's something that sounds really weird, but it's the peaches. Oh, now I'm just picturing someone, one of the boys teaching another boy how to read and I'm getting emotional. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. This is basically holes, but with not Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the juvenile delinquents, they, during the Victorian era, they had a really big concern for crime, which is kind of interesting because I was reading about the different crime rates and I feel like it was still going down at the time that this Preston Castle would soon to become. But at the time, all of the Victorian era people were just like super concerned with all of the theft and all of the crime and all of the murder that was happening. And they would have these really, really harsh punishments. And so one of the punishments for kids was basically just being sent to jail like a normal person. But then they soon realized like, oh shit, maybe we should not be sending children and these young adults into the same sort of system that we're sending oh they like weren't separated they were thrown in together they weren't separated no and they were like as harsh as they could be with some of the things that they wanted people to suffer from and like the the different punishments for their deeds they also ultimately had the goal of these people being able to be rehabilitated into society And they were like, okay, these kids are coming out way more damaged than they ever went in. So Mm -hmm. let's come up with a different solution. And that solution was reformatory schools. So this happened all over the place. There were a bunch in the UK. Questionable. Questionable. We definitely know that. And versions of that still exist today. I mean, think about like Paris Hilton and all of those sort of like forest schools. I knew someone who was sent away to a forest rehab school i also think like a lot of kids are sent to not to say like all boarding schools are like this but a lot of kids have been like i went to high school around a lot of people who were sent to boarding schools kind of so their parents didn't have to like deal with them which is really sad yeah i feel like that was an east coast thing because when we did you notice this when we went to lmu so like in the west coast people i felt like the west coast difference was that people who went to private and boarding schools were because they could afford to go to private and boarding schools and it was like this kind of ritzy thing and where i grew up sure there were plenty of people who went for like sports and academics but if you were sent from a public school to a private school it was because you fucked up (laughs) like you were being (laughs) sent away I think more for specifically for boarding school, I experienced that. Although there was a period of time where I was like being bullied really badly and I just like was so unhappy in high school that I considered going to boarding school. And I remember like mm. I like went into my mom's bedroom one morning and I was like bawling my eyes out and I was like, here are some boarding schools I've looked up and I want to go to. Aww. And she like she was very supportive. She was like, if you this is really what you need. But I ended up being fine. Yeah. My mom did that. She presented schools for me in middle school. Yeah. And then I was like, no. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm just going to keep suffering every day here. <laughs> I'm not going to run away from my problems. I was more like, ah, what's another year or two? <laughs> I'll make it. My dad was sent basically to a 
reformatory school. Was he? In America or in the Middle East? I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but there's a lot of mystery with my dad and his upbringing. And I heard a rumor, which I'm not going to say. Yeah, because we were like, is he from Pakistan? Is he from India? Like, there's so many different things, too, with where in Asia's family. He was born in Pakistan and lived there for a couple of years. In high school, I think he got in, or middle school, he got into a lot of trouble. So his parents sent him to boarding school in England. And that was like, he got smacked by nuns. Like, it was like a, they punished you. Yeah, see, that's the version, I think, in Vermont that I'm used to seeing, too. It's like the nuns with the The rulers that they smack the back of your hand and scream at you. Yeah. All right. So these reformatory schools, a lot of them were set up for offenders who were under the age of 16 to basically be sent to these schools, quote unquote, which were really just like prisons that had a little bit more focus on the eventual rehabilitation of people and Mm -hmm. letting them enter the world with some skills under their belt. But a lot of them ended up housing young adults, too. So people would still be sent there if they were like 20, 21, 22. It's just I think it was like maybe a judgment call. And also Mm -hmm. there were a lot of kids that never committed any crime. They were simply abandoned by their families or orphaned. And they were also sent to these schools. Was this like men and women or was it just men? Because I feel like a lot of... These places ended up being like boys schools and then like girls were sent to like psychiatric facilities, which is very sad. Yep. Yes. That's exactly how it went. This was this one was a boys school because most of them were, especially because at the time, like the goal was to teach these kids the trades and then to have them move into a job. And so there was definitely a bigger push for men to get that sort of treatment. Mm hmm. So one of the schools in America, which, by the way, these schools were largely funded by government entities, but those government entities were also somewhat controlled by the various companies, you know, like obviously there was money being put in their pockets by certain people. And so what sort of things that they would offer in these trades or how many people were sent to them, I think was a bit still influenced by it's the same thing as today, different font. Okay. So one of these schools was Preston School of Industry, known now as Preston Castle, which Mm -hmm. was, again, recommended by a listener at the San Francisco show. It was built in 1890 after the California State Legislature purchased 230 acres from the Iron Coal and Iron Company. And then they built the Preston School of Industry. It's just super large castle looking building. They had it's like just shy of 50,000 square feet. Like, it is a massive oh, building. Massive. Okay. There's 120 rooms, but each room is not like an individual room for someone. Like, mm-hmm. uh, their bedrooms would have, you know, like, basically, not not bunk beds, but like, would have multiple, you know, in Annie, where they go into the room and it's all the orphans are together, like, all in one in room, one big long line of yeah. like twin beds. That's yeah. sort of what the situation gotcha. would be, too. So, this Preston School of industry would serve as an alternative to jail for young boys and a place for abandoned children. Here, kids and young adults would learn a trade and they would live in a largely self-sufficient property. They would grow their own food. They would learn farming trades. They would raise livestock. They would work in the print shop. They would work in the bakery. They would work at the cobbler shop. Like there were just so many different types of things for them to learn and so many different options. And it sounds really lovely too, right? Yeah, like, it's like, oh, what a dream little commune. Yeah, in theory, it sounds 
amazing. It sounds so great in theory, but it was obviously not. (laughs) Yeah. I just like the idea of like a self-sufficient little community, but these people are not here willingly. This is a forced upon commune situation. Right. And it's not like, oh, I think I'll work in the garden today or like me and Tom volunteer to bake bread today. Like it's not it's not like that. It's still very much a jail. So not only did the Victorians believe in harsh punishments for adult offenders, but they also believed in it for children. So this was no summer camp on the farm. So life at Preston School of Industry was entirely controlled by the superintendent and rules were very strict. Should a child make a mistake or step out of line, discipline was clear. It was harsh. I mean, at times it was deadly. And these kids would be thrown into isolation. They would be beaten publicly. They would be starved, sometimes killed. Or if they avoided all of those things, it didn't mean that they were going to avoid a horrible death or treatment there because there were also so many diseases running rampant in a place like this, too. Mm. Yellow fever, tuberculosis, meningitis, typhoid fever, malarial fever, paralytic dementia, and so on. And in fact, there was such an effort actually like to try to avoid this sort of stuff entering the facility, even though it it didn't, that they had Mm -hmm. this basically it was like a plunge pool filled with chemicals. And when kids would be sent there and admitted, basically like, you know, in in scenes that we see in television and movies where people enter the jail and they have to like get naked and they're sprayed with like a hose or like in the shower or whatever. Yeah. So these boys would have to get in this chemical filled plunge pool and basically dunk themselves in Why? Because it was an attempt to get rid of like the lice. Some of the boys had like crabs, scabies, other infectious diseases. So that was one of the efforts made to try to lessen the amount of just disease and like parasites and bugs and stuff that existed amongst this population. Honestly, the fact that humans have survived the elements is kind of crazy to me yeah it is (sighs) immune systems corinne you have been asking me to start posting links to all of my clothing on my socials and stuff but have i'm gonna do one better i'm just gonna tell everyone right now right here that all of my staple pieces for any season is from jenny kane jenny kane is known for their super luxe yet lightweight sweaters and trust us they do cashmere better than anyone we've both given their cashmere sweaters as gifts to other people and the cashmere fisherman the flynn cashmere sweater and the cashmere cocoon cardigan they're best sellers in every season which i love because it's like, well, I could wear this in the summer, but I could also wear this in the winter. Mm-hmm. And then your your wardrobe just becomes way more versatile. They have such elevated staples. Like they have the Brentwood blazer, the Hudson turtleneck. Um, Their shoes are so comfortable. Do, don't you have like the Sherling mules? I do. They're, I wear them every day. Uh, <laughs> I wear them in my house. I wear them out of my house. Everything that Jenny Kane does is unmatched. They believe in the art of simplicity and focus on comfort, quality, and timeless design. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. So you too can find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code TGOG at checkout. That's 15% off your first order. J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com. Promo code TGOG. Let getting dressed be one last thing to worry about. So there was evidence of sexual abuse, sadistic punishments, even murder. 
And over Jeez. the 66 years of Preston School of Industries operation, there were hundreds of escape attempts, which just reminds attempts. me so much. Yeah. It's so sad. It reminds me of Brushy State Penitentiary. It reminds me of Alcatraz. Yes. Yeah. yeah. People who just shouldn't have been there or like the punishment did not match the crime at all. Yeah. And yeah. people are just desperately trying to escape because the chance of being shot in the back while you escape sometimes seems a whole lot better than what you're experiencing there on your day-to-day life. It really like frustrates me because this type of story doesn't surprise me. Like I know. I want to know of the place that existed during this time period that actually ended up being beautiful and helpful and why do why does it feel like they all ended up being corrupt and the people who ended up in charge of these places were people who were power hungry and seeking some type of like power over people who were like lesser than them and then ended up convincing every other employee to just go along with it like why why are they all the same why do they all follow this as sad as it is, I think it's because it was set up a certain way. Like, I feel like our whole society would have to completely like dismantle and go against. I feel like you'd almost have to like never be exposed to the negative treatments of prisoners to not be able to. It's like the Stanford prison experiment when they had people, right. volunteers assigned to be like the prisoners and then the guards. It's like you had all the opportunity to be a good person, but instead there's something in your brain that's like my ego, my power. I've seen this on TV. This is my moment to to be aggressive and like get away with shit. Ugh, I hate it. Like, why yeah. are we inherently, when given power, do we become something malicious and dark? And it's like it's always existed in humanity, which is also disturbing. We're evil. We are. So we might build little solariums for people to be rolled out to and get some sunlight, but as soon as they're out of that sunroom, there's still horrible, horrible things happening in these facilities. There's so much darkness. Yes. Samuel Goines, he was a convicted burglar who arrived at Preston School in July of 1918, and he attempted to escape three times. So he was one of the hundreds of boys who attempted to escape Preston School of Industry. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, during his third attempt, a guard named John Kelly shot Samuel Goines in the back Sam was only 20 years old, and he would have been released two months later. So to me, that that signifies that the conditions there were so bad that he could not wait another two months to get out. Like, th- like it was yep. that awful. He had to. Yeah, you couldn't wait. Oh, and the oh. numbers I saw online were, I saw online that there were 17 boys buried, and then I saw online that there were 19 boys buried. Hmm. I'm not really sure, but I did read one article that said, there were three people buried who records showed that they died from like being murdered and that the other oh. 15 were due to illnesses. So that's just on the property. And as right. we know, there are plenty of places that didn't keep records of how everyone went missing and yeah. picked and chose who got a burial plot and then it basically whose family would come looking for them. Was it Athens, Ohio? Asylum where there were just it was just numbers like every grave was just a number and you didn't really know who was what like who was who oh, it might have been I think it was it was really sad it's sad because it's there's so many places like that too or it's just like not yeah. even a number it's just like a white marker just like a yeah. field of white markers mm. to all you souls out there who were not given proper treatment in life or in death and in your burial we love you all 
And we send you little spiritual hugs. I know. We're so sorry this is happening or happened. Yeah. We do. So Sam's fate, unfortunately, was not dissimilar to another boy, Herman Miller, who seven years prior, he was also shot by a guard who claimed to simply be shooting into the yard. So basically, this boy Herman and another boy didn't arrive for dinner. And so this guard was saying that he was shooting into the yard to basically tell the super, signify to the superintendent that there were a couple people missing. So like, boom, boom, like shot, shot, like, oh, no, there's two people that never made it to dinner. Here's my signal to you. Hmm. And it was totally coincidental that those shots hit the two boys. Although that can't be protocol. No, Shoot your gun right? multiple times if kids are missing. Count how many people are missing from the dinner table. No. So apparently this is, it suspiciously struck the boys. Herman died. Mm-hmm. I don't believe anything happened to that guard. Well, of course not. <sighs> so Herman passed from being shot. Samuel passed from being shot, both by guards. And there were hundreds of kids who tried to escape. Who knows how many more people did die there that we just mm-hmm. don't know about. I was not able to find if anyone had ever successfully escaped Preston School of Industry or if anyone was tried for the mistreatment and torture of these boys. Probably not, sadly. But there is one, quote, unquote, unsolved murder case that has gotten a lot of press. And that is not to do with one of the murder of the boys that were kept at Preston School of Industry. But instead... This is about the murder of Anna Corbin, the head housekeeper at Preston School of Industry. Oh. Yes. On Thursday, February 23rd, 1950, a ward helper, Robert Hall, and a housekeeper, Lillian Lee McDowell, were in the basement around 2 p.m. This was just before everyone was due for a staff meeting. And they discovered in one of the closets the brutally beaten body of Anna Corbin. It appeared that Anna had been initially attacked in her office Mm -hmm. when her attacker had basically just entered and and took her by surprise and then dragged her into the storage room. On her body, there was a thin hemp cord that was used to strangle her. And it was very clear from all of the evidence in the rooms that Anna fought and she fought really hard. There was stuff that was all over, like knocked over. She was putting up as much of a fight as she possibly could in an attempt to break free. But her life did end in an instant when her attacker violently threw her to the ground and her head hit the cement and her skull cracked. (sighs) Once she had passed away, there was an attempt from the murderer to sexually assault her corpse. But it can be assumed that there was some sort of interruption that happened before that could happen because in the midst of trying to prepare himself for this act, he decided instead to drag her body into one of the storage closets, put her in the corner, and then cover her with rolls of carpet to try to hide her body. Oh, it's just horrible. It reminds me a bit of Waverly Hills Asylum. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, there's so many similarities between I know these types of facilities, which is just sad. Yeah. Waverly Hills was like treating tuberculosis patients and had a full body shoot in a morgue in a tunnel. This place just had a makeshift morgue, but there was right. still just like so much violence that happened within the walls. Yeah. So these two employees find Anna's body and 
obviously immediately alert the rest of the staff and authorities. Mm -hmm. The school is put on lockdown and an investigation is begun within an instant. Many of the boys were included on the suspect list, as well as a few staff members, I think, initially. They literally talked to every single person in this school. I am glad that they at least... I wish they took this type of effort to investigate when the kids were yes. murdered or in trouble, but I am really glad that they did take it this seriously. And part yeah. of me wants to believe that I feel like someone who worked there did this. I know. You kind of want to because you're like, oh, well, if they get caught for Anna's murder, like God knows how many what things else they're they doing. did to the boys. And at yeah. least like that's one bad person taken away. But yeah, so they in thoroughly investigated. They interviewed every single person who was on site. So it didn't matter if it was a staff member, a visitor, a child. Didn't matter. Everyone was interviewed mm. and interrogated. And they brought in lie detector tests. And a lot of people were put through lie detector tests as well, which we know is not really the best indicator that someone is telling yeah. the truth or not. It's very easy to get away with that. Yep. But eventually the list is whittled down to just a few potential suspects. And then there's just one name on the list. Who? Eugene Monroe. Eugene was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And what happened to his family is not quite certain, but... When he was nine years old, he was kept as an inmate, inmate at the Institution for Deaf, Blind, and Orphans. Nine years old. And an inmate at a place created for the deaf, blind, and orphans. Makes you want to throw up. His highest level of education, according to all records, would be the second grade. So he never got past second grade. Hmm. When he got older, he did move in with his stepfather, and together they lived in Los Angeles. And not long after Eugene had moved to Los Angeles, 17-year-old Vesta Bell Sapinter was attacked in her bedroom on the second floor of her family's home. She was raped. She was murdered. A thin hemp cord was wrapped around her neck. He's got an M.O. Yep. Two people had been at the home during this attack. It was Vesta's brother, and then it was Eugene Monroe who was delivering furniture. Eugene was questioned by authorities as a suspect, but he was let go. Not long after this, Eugene Monroe was arrested for burglary and he was sent away to Preston School of Industry. Mm. Now, this was decades after the school first opened. So at this time, when it first opened, like I think the way they operated was a lot more harsh than it was towards the end of its operation, like before it was very much about... I feel like that's how a lot of them... But then they all yeah. end up closing when the operations are less intense, right? It's exactly. like it's totally you like start happens. to figure it out and actually become a yeah. reformatory, which is like what you intended to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, now there's no need for you. We'll close down. Exactly. It's like, oh, instead of abusing all of these boys, let's just focus on rehabilitation. And then everyone's like, oh, that's boring. And close <laughs> the school. It's so disturbing, but that's it's literally... So it's a pattern. It's a copy-paste situation yeah. of what has happened so many times, and that's that's also what happened here. Yeah. Our next partner has made a huge impact on the most unpleasant time of the month for us. The time that we bleed. 
This podcast is sponsored by Jovi. And when it comes to pain from period cramps, which Sabrina, you and I have both experienced mm-hmm. so much of it over the years, you guys have got to try Jovi. Jovi is a 100% drug-free patch that relieves pain from menstrual cramps and so much more. And there's been numerous times that I've referenced Jovi to you, Sabrina, when we're just like chatting and you're like, oh, I'm already wearing a yeah. patch right now. I was like, oh, I need a patch. It feels so good. You basically pinpoint where the pain is coming from. For me, when I'm having PMS symptoms, I get cramps in like the lower abdomen area. So I'll place the Jovi patch there and there's no refills or wires needed. It's not magic. It feels like it, but it's actually science. So basically when it's placed on the source of your discomfort, the Jovi patch picks up the message your body is sending out and reduces the impact of pain. So you can show up as your best self even on the worst days of your cycle. And it's not just for menstrual pain. If you have back pain or any type of aches, pains that are keeping you from living your life to the fullest, you can put the Jovi patch on there and let it work its science. It's also reusable, so you can get an entire year of relief out of purchasing Jovi once. Jovi has helped tens of thousands of women thrive through every day of their cycles. If you want to become one of them, head to meetjovi.com forward slash TGOG and use code TGOG for 40% off your order. That's right, 40% off. Once again, that's meetjovi.com backslash TGOG for 40% off and make sure that you use our promo code, it's TGOG, so that they know that we sent you. So the school at the time that Eugene Monroe is sent there, it's a lot more relaxed. And so people were roaming the halls a lot more. They had a lot more freedom and liberty to do certain things. My thing is, like, how did he get the hemp cord? Like, this was clearly premeditated. Like, it's not just like, oh, seize the opportunity. He had planned it and prepared himself for the attack. Well, and also, too, the fact that it was hemp cords in both cases. That's what I mean, yeah. I'm like, are the ropes, were just most ropes made of hemp then? I guess. It just seems so specific. But it does. It must it have does. been because I can't imagine this guy's like going out. There's no two-day delivery on Amazon yeah. to order like hemp no. rope. Right. Yeah. And while a lot of the other boys had a lot of freedom throughout the space, Eugene usually didn't because he was so incredibly aggressive and just like really mentally ill. And so they kept him locked away in a room often in solitude for mm-hmm. long periods of time. And he would he would rip pipes out of the room. He would like destroy the room around him. And he also was known to self-mutilate a bit too. He had scars all over his face oh, from just like scratching himself geez. until he bled. Like this boy was so ill. He had such a horrible life. It doesn't excuse any of the crimes that he did right. at all. But like it was very clear that there mm. was there was a lot going on with Eugene. Yeah. And so he was not someone who just usually roamed the wall walls of the what we know as Preston Castle today. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there were still opportunities for him to move about. He wasn't Clearly. living yeah. in solitude the entire time he was there. But he was punished a lot by being placed mm. in solitary confinement. Okay. So Eugene was the number one suspect. And he was roaming that day. He wasn't locked away. So he would have had access to Anna Corbin on this day. And so the question was, could we place him at this scene, especially given that this fits an MO of someone who he probably likely murdered before and got away with? Eugene was one of the few boys who did not pass the interrogation and lie detector test. But the other boys appeared cleaner in appearance, while Eugene was one seen by multiple witnesses within 200 feet 
of Anna Corbin's office just within minutes before the attack. Mm. And two, he had blood on his shoes and belt, and he had taken his clothes and thrown them into the incinerator. A little suspicious. Is that not guilt? Yes. Yeah. The knot used to tie the rope around Anna's neck was the same exact knot used in the death of Vesta Bell Sapinter. That's also suspicious. Another boy, William J. Mercer, he came forward and he said that he and Eugene had engaged in some sexual activity together and that Anna Corbin had actually like walked by and witnessed this and caught them in the act. And Eugene was so horrified by it and decided that he was going to take matters into his own hands and he was going to shut up Anna forever so they could never be discovered or like what he did could never be uncovered. And so he had planned to attack her Hmm. to basically shut her up forever and not ever tell about him and William's acts. And so William knew this and he must have been with Eugene in the beginning of it because he did say and testify that he saw Eugene hit Anna Corbin in her office. And then he got really scared by the violence of it all. And so he ended up running away. So he didn't see any more of the attack other than an initial hit. The beginning of it. But at least then there's a witness. Yes. So there's multiple witnesses saying he was close in proximity to the office. And then there's a witness who not only gives him a motive, not that he needed one because it seems like it was random acts before with all Mm -hmm. of his crimes, but gives him a reason to attack Anna Corbin and says that he saw a physical strike from Eugene inflicted on to Anna. William's story changes at the preliminary hearing. He recants his earlier statement. And when questioned about this, he basically said Eugene Monroe's attorney threatened him that if he didn't recant his statement, that something bad was going to happen to him. So he's like, holy shit, is this lawyer going to come for me? Is Eugene Monroe going to not be convicted? And then he's going to come for me or one of his friends is going to come for me. He was scared. He was terrified that he was going to be killed, basically. And he was being threatened. But despite being so incredibly crippled with fear that he had recanted his earlier statement, he did eventually show up to the trial and was put as a witness and did confirm his original testimony, which was that they had engaged in romantic relationships and that he had seen Eugene initially attack Anna Corbin in her office that day. Mm. Eugene Monroe was charged and tried three different times for the murder of Anna Corbin. The first two resulted in a hung jury. Interesting. The third resulted in acquittal. He was let go. He was never convicted. That's why it's quote unquote like unsolved murder. He was a let go. Wow. He must have had a good lawyer. (sighs) My God. Or people just don't fucking care. But also if you think about like Eugene's story, it is tragic. Like there's a lot of empathy to feel for this person. And I imagine that if you like milk that as a lawyer, you can get acquittal. Like, right. who's who's the real villain here? Yeah, I was reading that the first time they went to trial, it was just like they just could not decide. And mm. the second time it was, I can't remember the exact number, but it was like, if there were 10 jurors, one of them didn't think that he did it. The majority did, but still it resulted in a hung jury. And then it, God mm. knows what happened the third time. But it's just wild to be sent three different times. yeah. With all of the evidence that was had. Especially the history. I mean, I I guess like in court, if you can't, you can't necessarily bring up a previous crime if he was not found guilty for that. But like 
as a outside perspective now looking at it, it's like, okay, well, that's really, really suspicious that there's this other crime that he was a suspect of that matches yeah. this so perfectly. I know. But he was let go. And mm. he later, once he left the school and obviously was not in jail, Eugene was later arrested multiple times for sexual acts on others or attacks mm. on others. And when he was awaiting his court date for one of these attacks, he slipped a few notes to other inmates into their cells bragging about how he will be fine. He's gotten away with murder before. So probably referencing the two murders he's already gotten away with. And so then one of the inmates or maybe multiple were like, well, we're telling on you. <laughs> and so <laughs> they alerted the authorities. So Eugene is then questioned and then they run his fingerprints through the FBI database and there's a match a match to a young 22-year-old pregnant woman named Dorothy Waldrop, who was found on a grassy knoll near her apartment complex. She had been brutally attacked and assaulted in the same way that Eugene Monroe's other victims were. And there was a knot around her neck included. It was a bandana, not a rope, but the exact same knot was used in these. This is a very, very bleak episode. <laughs> I know. So I'm sad. I didn't know when I when someone was like, you got to look into Preston Castle. I don't know. I thought like Victorian dressed yeah. ghosts wandering around. And it's just like horrific, horrific events that happened to all these yeah. people. And yeah. So his fingerprints match this unsolved murder of this woman. Obviously, he did it. He is sentenced to life in prison for his crime. Originally, okay. they were trying to give him the death penalty, but he escaped that. They gave him life in prison. But did he spend life in prison? No, because he fucking got paroled in 1981. He spent like 35 years in jail or something like is that. He still, is he still alive? No. Okay. So a few years back, someone, he came up in the system as like an inactive parolee. So I guess they just like lost track of him. And someone was curious and they looked into it and they found that he had three known residences in Los Angeles between the time that he was paroled. And the time he died, which was October 3rd, 2007, if I'm remembering okay. correctly. I didn't write it down. Wow. So Preston School of Industry, they closed in 1960, and then they reopened after years of sitting vacant after all of these horrific things happened there. And now they offer ghost tours. So <laughs> you can do some overnight investigations you can go during the daytime and follow a guide. You can do self-guided tours. If you're like doing a film, like creating an independent film or something, you can rent it out to, to actually wow. use as your set. You can do photo shoots there. They've got a lot going on. Many of the rooms, including the on-site apartments for the staff, are basically time capsules. So they've kept a lot mm. of the same decor, the furniture, the original beds that the boys had slept on. Like all of this stuff, it's just left so you get to see so much of the original stuff can i see photos are there photos of it i'm gonna look if you go onto their website i i do have some photos that i'm gonna insert into the youtube but if you go onto their website you can see they have a whole catalog of old historic photos of some of the boys working there some of the different staff members parties and just now some like abandoned i mean it's beautiful well and because they allow photography there are so many blogs, too, where you can see some 
incredible photos that people have taken inside of every single room. Wow. It's really pretty. And the interior is kind of scary looking, but the exterior is. is absolutely stunning. So yeah, it it definitely is a time capsule because although it's dilapidated, they've kept a lot of the things that were originally there. So it is very cool to walk around and kind of Mm -hmm. see that sort of stuff. And of course, the items are not the only thing left behind because the spirits of many people Mm -hmm. who have been here are said to be left behind as well. Yep. So we know of at least three untimely deaths. I'm sure there were plenty more. And then, of course, there were plenty of boys who passed away from different illnesses. So there were a lot of people who died on this property. Also, I bet just like the residual energy of like fights or just really toxic behavior Mm -hmm. and negative energy existing on that property probably has left a lot of residual energy. So much of it. I'm sure so much of that exists. And then it's hard to say because it's like, well, are these people who lived here or were imprisoned here that are haunting this place? Or is this a residual energy or... Is there something darker that's like feeding upon this sort of dark energy here? Right. I don't know. But many people have claimed to see a woman wandering the halls, which people believe could be the spirit of Anna Corbin, which, God, I pray that that's a residual haunting and she's not there forever. I know. I hope so, too. That's pretty sad. Visitors and employees have reported many suspicious and ghostly sounds emanating throughout this building. So they'll hear doors slamming. They'll hear objects that seemingly fall onto the concrete floors below. And this building is largely vacant. Like aside from the Mm -hmm. tours, there's no one else there. They also hear disembodied voices echoing throughout the building. And people have also reported to have made physical contact with ghosts. So this is one of the things where I'm like, ah, I want it so badly to be a residual haunting for the sake of the spirits and people not being trapped there and have to like perpetually live their horrors over and over. But at the same time, people have said that they've been touched, they've been pushed. It feels a bit violent. It feels a bit aggressive. And so we can assume that that is an active and intelligent haunting. But then it brings up the question, and we've talked about this before, like, can there be such intense residual energy that it becomes active energy? You know, like where it's not truly or necessarily the full soul and spirit of a person lingering, but it's like a combination of energy that's now just active right a part of them chipped off to be uncovered in their next life when they start doing shadow work shadow work collect all their pieces again (laughs) gotta catch them all there should be like a board game we should make a two girls one ghost board game and it's called shadow work and you go into different worlds to collect your pieces and in order to win the game you have to you have to collect all of yourself okay tm like, but it's also like it's fun, this. it's spooky, but then there's some like true like, you know, Work. that game. We're not really strangers where you have to like yeah. answer like deep questions. Yeah, I like this. But there's like some paranormal spiritual yeah. twist to it. Oh my God, it's kind of like truth or dare. So you flip a card, you go, okay, you start at the home little like start place. You have your little like mm-hmm. ha- half person. And then it's kind of like Candyland where you go to different places. You go to Gumdrop <laughs> Island And in order to, like, retrieve your shadow piece, you flip a card and it says either, like, truth or dare. And the truth is a deep psychological dig into yourself question. The dare, if you get a dare, is, like, a paranormal, like, play a Ouija board or go do the 11-mile game, something like that. (laughs) Go traumatize yourself more. Chip off another piece of you. Better luck next time. If you don't complete the task, then you get stuck there. 
Oh, gosh. This game takes years to complete. <laughs> the game that never ends. If you thought Monopoly was for long, just wait until you play. Shadow work. Shadow work. Brought to you by two girls, one ghost. I'm kind of down. Wait, this should be like a, it could be a board game, but I think it could also be a digital video game. Oh, so cool. We have so many good ideas. We do. One day. One day. <laughs> okay, well, back to Preston Castle, formerly known as Preston School of Industry. There are just so many paranormal things happening here that it has been reason for paranormal enthusiasts to flock to this place. Mm -hmm. Ghost adventures, ghost hunters, ghost asylum, so many different shows, movies have come here to investigate or to film here, simply be amongst the paranormal, try to capture some evidence. And also Preston Castle hosts an annual Paracon. So they are totally feeding into this. That's and it's cool. a good way for them to get money too, because if you choose to book a tour or do any of the events that happen, part of the proceeds go towards funding the eventual restoration of this castle. So they are hoping to restore the building, which I'm like, man, if you think it's haunted now, imagine all of these spirits, like if they are actively there witnessing rooms being restored to their former glory, which is where all of your like trauma I know. And negative memories are associated with and like yeah. the terror you'd feel of seeing it like come back to life again in front of you. My God, makes me feel bad. Imagine the stories from contractors. That's what I want to know. Right? Yeah. Oh, so the hauntings are actively happening today. There's still a lot of mystery surrounding exactly what happened at the time that the school was open. A lot is up for debate. Record keeping wasn't super great. But it's something that we should talk about because this happened at a lot of different places. It's an important part of history. And now you can go to Preston Castle and participate in one of the tours, do a ghost hunt of your own, and potentially contribute to the restoration and hopefully positive sort of uh, business models of a future historic yeah. building. And that is the haunted and largely criminal history of Preston Castle. I love that they've rebranded to Preston Castle because it sounds so much nicer than Preston School of Industry. And <laughs> yes. like it never was a castle in, in no regard. No. There was no ballroom or candle dinners. The only type of castle I could associate it with is like the castle of Rapunzel where it's a, you know, you're trapped there. You don't get to mm -hmm. leave. Wait, sorry. What? I feel like I've been bringing up Shrek a lot recently, which is <laughs> odd because I haven't watched the movie in years. But it's a classic. It's such a classic. It lives within our hearts. It's ever present at the top of our brains. I just saw a video where someone was pointing out a hidden detail in Shrek. Well, it's not really hidden, but it's like a detail in Shrek that Fiona, when she was locked away in her castle, the only ones that really had like access to her were like the dragons and I guess, ogres, but like she didn't make communication with other humans. And so people mm -hmm. were like, well, how did she survive for so long? And as she's leaving the castle and going by like the dragon who protected her, there is a cookbook that is open and it's about cooking humans. And so people are like, holy shit, did she stay alive by cannibalizing people? Anyway, interesting to think about. Whoa. 
that's the like dark truth of Fiona's yeah. life is that she's actually a secret cannibal. It makes it a real fairy tale, right? Like a Grimm's Brothers fairy tale. There's some disturbing things in mm-hmm. fairy tales. You know, I didn't realize that as I was getting older, my hair was thinning. Corinne, you and I have commiserated over this and realized that it's actually not just us. It's pretty normal. It happens approximately in one in two women. And there's a solution that we have found. So you can join us and the over 1 million people that are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair, it just doesn't cut it. I think that's one of the things that why I struggled for a couple of years just losing hair and I was like, what the hell do I do? But then I started using Nutrafol. It has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages such as postpartum, menopause, as well as different lifestyles. And they also cater to plant-based diets. And it was so, I can't even describe the day that I realized that all the baby hairs around the crown of my face were coming back in. And I was like, oh my God, I was in tears. I was like, it's been two years of balding and I'm finally getting my hair back. And it's super simple. You can take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. And take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TGOG. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code T-G-O-G. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code T-G-O-G. Okay, I have a listener story. So I searched castle because I thought castles. Right? Yeah. Okay. Me, I thought so too. Okay. <laughs> So we're going a little bit of castle theme here. This is from our listener, Phoebe, and it's called Ghost Experiences. Hi, girls. I'm a big fan of the show. And after hearing a few similar stories, I thought you would like to hear what I have experienced. I have two very similar experiences, both that still give me nightmares. The first one takes place while I was at university at Royal Holloway. If you don't know, Royal Holloway or Holloway was one of the first women's colleges in the UK and is the home of Founders Building, which is a beautiful red brick ornate building opened by Queen Victoria in 1886. The building is Mm -hmm. unique and it's built around two courtyards, North Quad and South Quad, and is also built on a slight hill. So that means if you enter the ground floor in the North Quad, you'll be up on the first floor of the South Quad. So because of its age and quirkiness, the building can be incredibly eerie. I used to work in the dining hall, so that meant a lot of time cleaning when all the students had gone to sleep, and there would be times that I would be on my own. One such time, I was walking from one side of the quad to the other after the dining hall had closed. It was about 8 p.m., the light outside was dimming, and in attempts to save electricity, the university installed motion sensor lights so you could see people walking up the winding staircases if you were outside. While I was crossing the quad, I noticed one light go on as if someone was walking up a lesser used staircase. I watched as one light went on and then another, but there was no one there. If it had been a person, you would have been able to see their outline in the window. So I stopped and I watched the lights. And as I made the conscious decision, a person came into view. 
going up the staircases where the light was already on, which didn't make sense as the light should have only come on after the person walked through that zone. However, it was when the shadow got to the top floor that I got really scared. You should be able to watch the person walk all the way up to the top. Yet this person never emerged. It was like they disappeared on the stairs. Before then, I had never really been nervous to be on my own at university, but after seeing the shadow, I would hear footsteps in the dining hall when I was cleaning or down the corridor just outside of the hall, like someone was running past. I would hear the swing doors go, but I would look and no one was there. I would walk back into the pantry and things that I had put in specific spots were now moved. There are a lot of ghost stories associated with my university, and there was one of a student had taken their own life in the exam hall after being driven mad during an exam, and there are various creepy graveyards dotted all around the place. You should definitely do an episode, if you haven't already, on haunted universities. My second story is somewhat similar. In my very first job after graduating, I worked in a very corporate office on the site of an old medieval castle once belonging to Henry VIII, called Bridewell Palace and it was initially built as a home for the royal before it could becoming a poorhouse and later a hospital. I don't know much about the site beyond that, but I know that there was a lot of deaths that occurred in that place. So, one night I was working late. It was about 9 p.m. and very dark outside. Due to the layout of the building and the closest neighbors, when the lights were on, you could very clearly see reflections in the surrounding glass. I was sitting at my desk, and something caught my eye. It was a person, a figure, moving. I watched as the figure walked all the way down the length of my office. Bear in mind, I had been alone now for over an hour. The figure was kind of skewed as the reflection in the windows weren't great, but I could tell this man was wearing a hat. I thought it was one of the cleaners, and so I went to go greet them. But when I stood and walked to where the figure would have been, there was no one there. I was alone. (laughs) And suddenly I got very cold as if blasted with air conditioning. Ooh, it's probably walking through you. (laughs) It happened for a second and I got really warm again. Not wanting to see the apparition again, I booked it out of there. I left my computer on and everything. The next day I told my line manager what I had seen and she said she had seen something similar years ago when working there alone one night. I still sometimes dream that I see the figure in the window, but this time when I stand to greet them, it's a horribly disfigured individual. I have a stressful job, so I usually put these dreams to workplace stress, but I do really believe I saw the apparition of someone who had died hundreds of years ago in Bridewell Palace. The whole area around Blackfriars is incredibly haunted. Even BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode there. So if you're ever in London, you should go do a ghost walking tour. Love the podcast, Phoebe. Wow. Oh my gosh, Phoebe's experienced so much. And it's so funny too, because it's like one of the co-workers was like, oh yeah, years ago I saw something like that. And then it's like, well, Phoebe just started basically and is already experiencing stuff. But I will say, I think what's nice is that these encounters do seem more of like, maybe they're not as aware of Phoebe. Yeah. And they're just kind of going about their own life. They're walking up the tower. They're walking down the hall. They're mm-hmm. moving about and just doing whatever. It's not like they're, I mean, it's still very creepy because they're just like around and who's to say that they're yeah. not just going to pop through a wall and be like, Right in front of her desk or something. Right. But they're not necessarily like fully interacting with Phoebe. They're just existing and Phoebe is seeing them. Yeah. She's not being targeted in any sort of way. And then it's extra creepy because Phoebe's alone. It's dark. It's late at night. Mm -hmm. And my first instinct is like, why is it always late at night? But I imagine in places like this, a university and like a busy office that used to be a castle 
there's probably ghosts around all the time, but during the day there are people. So you don't notice. You them. don't notice. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't think twice because if there's like 10 other people around this castle and tower and walking up it, you yeah. wouldn't think about the person you just glanced at. Right. You wouldn't be watching them walk the whole way. And if they disappeared, you probably wouldn't continue watching, being like, well, where did they go? Yeah. You would just probably move along because you didn't, you're not thinking about it. God, that makes me really wonder, like, how many ghosts do we see? And we just don't I know. I was just thinking about that. And then I, like, it weirdly, like, made me want to sit here and meditate and, like, try to conjure up a spirit. Like, I really want to talk to a loved one because I wonder yeah. how often, like, if I'm out in public, even though we were just talking about how we never leave our homes anymore or have a, any desire to leave our homes. I look out my window. I can see people sometimes. Exactly. But like, <laughs> I do wonder how often they are around us. And if you just like paused and really like sat in a public space and meditated, like, could you yeah, conjure them? And could you really dial in and where they are and who they are and communicate with them? You know, the people that just love people watching, like, especially... It's one of those like tropes where when someone is retired and a lot older that they like sit in front of their window or out on their porch for a good part of the morning. Just rocking back and forth watching people. Yeah. And they're just watching. I'm like, what have they seen? What Ooh. sort of things do they see? Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, probably I'm not going to tell anyone about that. I have this story that I want to write one day about this woman who is in a retirement home and like has like dementia or it's like the beginnings of dementia Mm. And she witnesses a crime and is the only witness that can help solve it. But because she has dementia, no one really trusts her. And the crime yeah. is like super weird anyway. But isn't that it's like woman in the window, right? Is that the book where it's like she right? It's like the unreliable narrator. She yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Oh, I love unreliable narrators. Me too. But I love this like idea. I just remember my grandma being in the retirement home and she had dementia, but she was a just like so convinced of things that were happening and people being in her place. Like I really fully believe she was seeing spirits. She very well could have been. Yeah. And it's also one of those interesting things where it's like sometimes people with dementia say things like they experience things or they say things from their past that sometimes were secrets and people just think they're talking yeah. nonsense or whatever. And then it's found out later that, holy shit, that, that was, was a real thing. very much a true story. Yeah. Well, if you have any hauntings or if you see spirits on the reg, if you work in a haunted location, please email us your stories to two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. We want them all. We can't wait to read them. And there's so many ways that you can support us. You can buy merch. You can get a ghost girl hat and, mm. and match us. You can join us on Patreon, get episodes one week early and ad free, plus bonus episodes every month, plus Campfire Stories Live every Tuesday, and so much more. Join the Pyramid Scheme, tell everybody about us, and we'll see you again next week. And in mm -hmm. fact, multiple times a week, because yeah. we're always here. We're always down to tell more ghost stories. We're always in your ear. <laughs> we're haunting you now. That's true. Shout out to Jamie for editing our audio and video. And thank you all for listening. We love you. We will. See you on the other side.